The following is an R.E.D. Podcast Network production, bringing on-demand geek audio straight to your eardrums one podcast at a time. To listen to more great geek audio podcasts, check out the R.E.D. Podcast Network at redpodcastnetwork.com, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio. Today on episode 6 of the Slash Cloud Podcast, I ask... What exactly is an SLA? Is it worth the paper it's written on? And what do you really need to know about SLAs? Welcome to the Slash Cloud Podcast, brought to you in association with CloudedIssues.com. The goal of this show, it's really quite simple. It's about me, Ian Bergen, helping you flatten the learning curve to be your anchor so the cloud doesn't carry away the focus from your business. On this podcast, I'm bringing my six years of experience in the cloud services field to help you see through the sales speak, clear away the mists of marketing, and in an agenda-free manner to break down the reality of what cloud can do and mean to your business in an easy-to-understand way. So this week I wanted to talk about what uh, SLAs basically are. SLAs are service level agreements that are pretty common for any form of services that you take in the IT industry. Uh, the reason I wanted to talk about this was in the last couple of months I've been involved, uh, as I am for like the third straight year, in the SIIA um, awards that go on each year. Now, to those who don't know what the SIIA are, that's the Software and Information Industry Association. Um, and what they basically are is they're a US-based Software and Information Trade Association. They lobby US state policymakers as well as conducting surveys and research. And each year they have a award ceremony that goes on in March. Uh, one of the categories that I actually judge uh, each year is the cloud services field. Uh, it generally tends to be software as a service platforms. Uh, I try not to do the infrastructure as a service platforms as there may be a conflict of interest in me actually doing those because I actually work for an infrastructure as a service provider that operates in not only the Irish market and the European market, but it also operates in the US market. So uh, the reason being is I do the cloud software as a service platform because it doesn't interfere with anything uh, that I do in my day-to-day job. Uh, but so, the without going into details about who I'm judging this year, one of the criteria that I'm actually that I actually use as part of the judging is the uh, SLAs and how good they are, whether they meet the uh, the standard that you would expect for this kind of service. And the one thing that struck me as I'm going through all the uh, the nominees this year for this particular category is um, that when it came to SLAs, there actually was no visibility or transparency around what the SLAs were for these services uh, and what you can expect in terms of uh, the service promises that you're actually getting. I mean, sure, everyone understands cloud to be always on, always available, accessible anywhere, uh, and basically that it's the keeping the software alive and keeping it patched and up to date, that that becomes the software provider's company as it's held on their platform and their own data center environments, etc., etc., well, one of the things that it doesn't actually get into is what are your guarantees around these software-as-a-service models? For example, if you take Sage in the cloud or if you, for example, take... Uh, Sage in the cloud is one example. If you take Office 365, for example, what are the SLAs around that? Or if you take one of these services where it's like about managing your advertisements online, it's a cloud service. Or maybe it's a platform that actually helps you manage your HR online, for example. 
uh, like what are your actual SLAs with those? I mean, the it's very, very easy for the advertisement and the marketing for all these services to be extremely slick and to be extremely concise and to sort of uh, bring you into the folds to take these cloud services. I mean, just for an example, I've put together uh, what I would consider a uh, a fairly bog standard type of marketing uh, piece for a software as a service cloud service. Um, and I just want to play for you just to give you a flavor of the kind of marketing terms that you generally tend to hear. Hi, I'm AN Other Cloud Person, Vice President of ABC On Demand Software Services. You too can harness the power of the cloud for your business. Our cloud is easy to use, cost saving, efficiency gaining, always on, always available, with no hidden fees. Cloud your way to a higher level for your business. ABC Cloud, keeping your business out of the storms. So as you can hear there, that's sort of the general terms that you tend to get here, uh, sort of thrown around when it comes to marketing for your cloud services. Uh, you know, always available, always on, saving you money, etc., etc., and it is, it's it's not very clear even from from advertisement like that. I mean, even if you take any of the advertisements that you hear for any other cloud service, whether it's IBM's cloud service, whether it's uh, SunGuard availability services, whether it's uh, Rackspace, uh, whether it's any of these guys, nothing is really sort of explained to you as to what your nines actually are and what you're actually going to be getting for them. And I think that's uh, that's kind of important to understand. Like The first thing really you need to put into perspective is an SLA is not a guarantee. That is the key fundamental. You must always remember this. It's not a guarantee. If anything, an SLA is nothing more than an aspirational target that a service provider is trying to get to for the provision of services to your business and to every other business it has as a customer. And that is just basically the what it actually comes to. Yes, an SLA will tell you that they have maybe five nines available on their power. Maybe they have four nines available on their infrastructure. Uh, and it is one of those concepts where it's part of a service uh, contract agreement and it's put to you up front and let me just sort of get into this whole thing about four nines, five nines, and the rest. I just want to get into this very briefly. This is something which I, I suppose is um, is thrown around an awful lot, and it's sort of meant to impress you that like you, you can stick a whole lot of nines after the the decimal point, and it's supposed to somehow actually impress you. And for example, if you talk about five nines, which is ninety nine point nine 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 percent per day. That actually works out as approximately four seconds per month, 26 seconds, and per year, it, it just comes into five minutes and 15 seconds. So as you can see, imagine that. So unavailability, they say that you should not have any problems. For example, if someone says, oh, we'll give you five nines and you're availability. So you, for no more than five minutes or 15 seconds per year, should you have any interruptions of service. Now, if that exceeds that, does that mean you get to walk away from your contractual obligation? Probably not. Is there penalties the company will pay? There may or may not be remedial penalties. It depends on the, the small print in the terms and conditions or what's actually defined and laid out within the, the SLA document itself. Four nines, for example, is eight seconds a day, which is four minutes, 22 a month, and it's 52 minutes, 35 a year. So you can have up to a four nines, you can have up to almost eight, a full hour 
of unavailability or whatever it is that is actually garnered against the four nines. And then if you're talking about three nines, which is 99.9 per day, it's a minute 26. Per month, it's 43 minutes 49. And per year, it's just shy of nine hours. And if you're talking about 99%, so you're getting into the real basics, it's about 14 minutes 23 a month, or per day, sorry, per month it's 7 hours and 18 minutes 17 seconds, and per year it's a full 87 hours, so you're talking the guts of about nearly 4 days, give or take. So as I said, these form parts of your service contract agreements where the level of service is actually formally outlined and defined to you, which may include uptime. Uptime agreements are actually a fairly common metric, and it's actually one which is used by an awful lot of infrastructures and service providers because it's an easy way for them to provide a target they can actually meet. Because here's the dirty little secret. When you're talking about service level agreements and you're talking about SLAs, SLAs are a bit like saying that you're getting to set the rules of the game and these are the targets that you're going to meet. So very often SLAs are not actually geared towards uh, maybe what businesses are looking for themselves. It becomes almost something which is dictated to them that your business for this service will accept this amount as your SLA. So it's maybe not an SLA that you guys get to negotiate when you're actually going towards a, a cloud service, whether that's infrastructure as a service, software as a service, or platform as a service. And the one sort of common thread that you can see is that generally very often the infrastructure as a service models tend to have a better defined set of SLAs than say software as a service models or even better again than platform as a service models. And it literally becomes to the point because when you're talking about infrastructure service, there's so many moving parts that they'll actually try and define and then hit SLAs for, such as network for, will be have one set of SLAs, performance will have another set of SLAs, perhaps, and then maybe you'll have infrastructure availability, which will have a uh, metric against it for an SLA. And then there also may be um, things like availability having its own SLA as well. It can be very, very um, deep and defined or it can be very, very shallow. And very often you'll notice if you put the uh, maybe general SLAs from each of those type of uh, as-a-service models side-by-side, side, you'll actually see that the infrastructure ones tend to be a little bit more comprehensive. And what's funny is that, you know, to a tree, to really achieve the five nines if you're a service provider you know you actually need multiple tier four data centers now for those again who don't understand the whole concept of tiering let's get into this quite simply in ireland the maximum tiering we have for any of our data centers is actually tier three and what actually holds irish data centers from going to tier four no matter what anyone says is the fact is that there is not diverse power grids we have a single power grid infrastructure in this country it's from uh elect from uh, ESB networks there is no secondary provider sure we've got multiple billing companies like Electric Ireland uh, Borgosh and a whole heap of others but we do not have like additional grids outside the one that ESB actually provide so that's what actually in Ireland stops any data center from claiming properly that they are tier 4 if anyone says to you that their data center is tier 4 in Ireland it's not that's the definition for it um, and then I'm talking about the definitions about what the general, these are generally accepted uh, definitions 
questions about tier four. So tier four is where you've actually got, um, it's not just diverse networks, it's not just diverse uh, data center in terms of A, B feeds and everything else coming in from different sides of the building, multiple carriers at multiple different network tiers coming in at, uh, and layers at each side of the building as well. It's a whole heap of other things on top of that. Um, and that, I suppose, is the really, really important thing and to put around that. So tier one, Short definition is there is non-redundant capacity components, so single uplink, single service. Tier 2 is basically where you've got Tier 1 and you've got redundant capacity components. Tier 3 is the aforementioned previous tiers and dual-powered equipment with multiple uplinks. Tier 4 is tier everything up to Tier 3 and all components are fully fault-tolerant, including uplinks and storage, chillers, HVAC, servers... And even your power uh, grid um, is what you're hitting at. And here's the funny thing with this. If you're a Tier 3 data center or you're a Tier 3 facility, it's actually very difficult for you to even be able to claim that you're going to have four nines availability because Tier 3, technically speaking, means you're going to have 99.982%. So you're not even able to hit 99.99 for the four nines and when you, even when you get into tier four tier four is actually the only point where you're actually even able to come close to achieving the five nines and that is a hugely important thing an awful lot of people's marketing bumps especially for data center facilities you'll see that they'll put in oh we'll give five nines and in ireland you'll see it as well with data centers where they put in that there's five nines but in fact they're all tier three facilities in general um, so they're not actually able to achieve those five nines. Uh, maximum, in fact, even to get to four nines, you would actually nearly require what's uh, baseball terminology being a perfect game. And that's just uh, quite difficult for them to actually do. Um, so this is the importance of SLA. So what are you actually getting in your SLAs? Very often, it's very difficult for you as a as a company going to a cloud service provider to try and negotiate your SLAs. In fact, it's next to near impossible to do so, and pretty much it's a take it or leave it with your SLAs. If something which is a low-cost service, it's provided in an often multi-tenancy environment, you kind of have to expect that that's the trade-off. If you're going in there for low-cost services, providing in a multi-tenancy public service environment, Uh, like sort of going into Sage's cloud, maybe going into AWS, those are going to be SLAs you are not going to be able to negotiate. However, if you're going to an infrastructure as a service provider and you're saying to them, hey, I'd like you to build me out maybe a hybrid, a public-private cloud hybrid model, there may be some scope for you there on the private side of things, uh, depending on the amount of money that you want to spend in terms of mitigation uh, within the solution that would allow you to be able to sort of negotiate a better set of SLAs against your services or maybe some custom SLAs against them but every time you want to go and negotiate an SLA what you're actually asking that company to do is to provide an extra level of mitigation uh, against risk and they are going to appropriately bill against that Um, maybe they might front load it in one way or maybe they might spread it out over the duration of your contractual term but Generally, the given thing is that there is some sort of loading which will happen on your monthly costs or maybe your annual costs as a result of that. And that is the whole point of taking these as a service models is that you're actually meant to be buying and consuming IT uh, for only for what you need and not get buying above and beyond what you need. So only consuming what you need and paying for what you need.
And that's the important thing. An awful lot of people will actually forego an awful lot of risk and they'll just go work off the general SLAs. And to be honest, in my own experience of actually um, in sort of handling people's contracts over the years and everything else, people generally don't read their SLA documents or they don't read their terms and conditions. I mean, this isn't unique to the um, compute services uh, model where you're talking about getting on-demand compute, on-demand software services, on-demand platform services. This goes in general. Uh, people very often do not read fine print. I mean, how many times have you installed a piece of software on one of your own computer systems where you get a set of terms and conditions up front and you just put a tick in the box that I've read the terms and conditions and then click next or I agree? You mean you, we do this constantly, and again, it's because when we get an awful lot of legal text put in front of us, which is quite looks like it's quite cumbersome, we don't want to read through it. We just want to get on with what we're doing. And again, these service providers know that people don't do that. Um, and it, it really then sort of comes into, well, if you agree to using the services and you've not bothered to go and read the small print associated to it, it's very difficult for you to negotiate the position after the fact. And no matter what anyone says from a consumer standpoint of that, uh, well, you didn't know, or how can anyone be expected to read those terms and conditions? Terms and conditions are put in front of us every single day we use the internet, whether it's a piece of software, whether it's signing up to a brand new website, a new social media service, whether it's setting up an iTunes account, whether it's setting up an account on Google Play, whether it's going into our online banking, whether it's going onto Amazon and buying something, whether it's going onto Just Eat and ordering a takeaway. You are constantly bombarded with terms and conditions. You know terms and conditions are there. You know for a fact, just by default, that these are basically a set of disclosed limitations of liability that are being put upon you. And of course, they are not going to be in your favor. Terms and conditions are there not to protect uh, the consumers or the users of the services. It's actually to, to provide some sort of legal protection and limitation of liability on the companies providing those services. So you can't turn around and go and sue them for, I used your website and then all my hair fell out. Or I used your website to join your social media network and I got bullied, harassed and stalked and that's because you didn't manage your services. It's to stop things like that happening. So never ever for one second believe that terms and conditions are wasted in your favour. They're not. Terms and conditions are a statement of, of limitations of liability for the company providing the service. SLAs are no different as well. Like I said, very, very, very rarely are you ever going to actually get around to being able to dictate SLAs. Like I said, if you're getting custom services where things are being built out and tailored towards you, and it goes outside of there, or like coming off the menu and you're going a la carte, uh, then you might be able to negotiate them. But in my own experience over the years, whether it's uh, infrastructure as a service, whether it's platform as a service, and certainly a software as a service, the limitations of what you actually have as an SLA actually sort of dwindle more and more. And especially when it comes into the lower cost models, where you're talking about things which are like less than a couple of hundred a month or even less than a hundred a month per user or something like that, you'll find that the limitations of what you actually can claim for if there's interruption of service. I mean, say, for example, you go up and you take a service which is allows you to have a business process management tool in the cloud uh, which allows you to manage the critical path of your business day-to-day, -day, like how you're actually managing your processes, how you're managing your workflows, how you're managing your documentation, uh, how you're managing your support services, 
services and they're all sort of rolled into this BPM tool. And this BPM tool, basically, if this is unavailable, your business cannot function because it has all the direction about how you do things in your business is all documented in this and you're unable to access it. And maybe they've got data center outages, maybe they've got um, transit outages where people can't get to it, or maybe they're coming under a DDoS and their service is unavailable. Your SLAs may only say that uh, all we need to do is that if there is any of these problems, well, they happen, sorry about it, and that your remedy may be like a small percentage of whatever your maximum fee is up to a certain figure. I mean, for for example, if you're paying about 400 a month for that kind of service, just take this as an example. You're paying the 400 a month for that service. And maybe if there's an outage that lasts X number of hours, the remedial thing for that is that you get something like uh, 2% of your maximum monthly feedback. Well, that's great. For four hours, you've been unable to take your customers' orders, process your customers' calls for support, be able to do anything in your business because your BPM tool is completely unavailable. So you've got all this administrative work which is backed up uh, and you've got customers who are screaming and you're like, look, I'm really sorry, but our tool that we use for this is down. Uh, so you've got your, you've already sort of generating bad will with your clients who may or may not take their business elsewhere depending on the severity of what's going on and your inability to be able to service them in that manner. Like, and you're getting like 2% of the 400 back, like, that is not going to make up for your loss of business or your damage to your business. And the real question you need to ask yourself is, what am I actually getting in my SLAs as part of my cloud service? And actually understanding what they mean to your business. And if this is a piece of mission critical stuff that's going up into the cloud for your business, ask yourself, based on the SLAs, take a worst case scenario because more often than not, worst case scenario is actually what may or may not happen, uh, especially with an awful lot of as-a-service uh, solutions, because you don't know where they're actually hosted. You don't know how many of them are actually hosted, maybe, say, on uh, public cloud infrastructures like AWS. I mean, let's give you a great example. Heroku uh, base a huge amount of their architecture up in AWS, and they've been taken out multiple times by AWS failures. And Heroku's customers have berated them for continuous use of AWS services, and Heroku have done their best to try and mitigate as much of that as possible, spreading over regions and zones, going into diverse providers and the rest of it. But it's still... Um, had a number of customers like on so their social media sites and then phoning them and emailing them like baying for their blood when AWS has actually crapped itself. Again, that's important to understand. What you're putting up into the cloud, what sort of control are you losing in terms of if something goes wrong and the worst case scenario as outlined by um, their services. I mean, it's all very well Mr. or Mrs. or Miss uh, Cloud Salesperson turning around to you and saying, hey, don't worry about that. We've got SLAs that give you up to, give you the five nines for X, Y, and Z. You need to think about that very carefully. Like, if there is an outage of a half a day, a full day, or multiple days of the service that you're taking, what does that actually mean for your business? What are the actual operational impacts that has in your business? Are the remedies you're going to get on the flip side going to compensate for that? Are they of any contributory use to your business at that point? And then you need to ask yourself, what risk mitigations am I going to put in place in the event that these services are unavailable? And this is what you always need to be asking yourself. SLAs, are they worth the paper they're written on? 
In general, I have to say, they're not. Are SLAs important? Yes, because you need to understand the impact on your business. Do you need to make sure that you uh, have to think about what the implications are from an SLA to your business? Most definitely you need to. If this is something which is important to your business, that your business can't function properly or adequately without being there, then it's something you need to have an operational risk assessment for. And this is a very, a very, very important thing. To, again, it comes back to one of the previous episodes I did of the podcast. We're saying if you're planning on taking your company up into the cloud, into cloud services of one form or another, make sure you do your risk assessment. Make sure you've got the right team around you, which has actually included this in it. What happens in the event of start running the scenarios, start figuring that out. If you've no one in your company that can do it, Find people who can help you do that. Do not rely on the service provider to help you do this. The service provider is going to be concerned about what their end result to you is of their services. They're not concerned with the day-to-day running of your business, so to assume otherwise is naive, no matter what anyone says. The service provider is there to provide a service to you. Their service to you does not include the operational day-to-day side of your business. That is your responsibility as business owner, business manager, business operator. I'd love to know what people think and what a lot of people's experience have been with SLAs they've received over the years, whether it's on infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, software as a service, or even disaster recovery as a service. I would love to know what people's experiences are. You can, as always, send them in to me, ian.bergen at cloudedissues.com, or you can hit it up on the Twitter, at cloudedissues. Until next time, goodbye.